hardest part about that is getting up. Preach. I'm preaching already. I haven't even started. All right. Good morning. So just kind of thinking about this, this, this mini theme of warnings, right? Uh, think about some of these weird warnings you see on packaging and you see these weird warnings you see on, on, on cups of hot coffee, for example, right? You see a cup of hot coffee and what does it say on the package, on the cup? Caution hot, right? It seems kind of silly. Like we know it's hot, but what do we actually do sometimes? take a sip and it burns our tongue and we're all mad about it, right? But these warning signs are obviously pretty useful. um, And and really, if you do want some cheap entertainment, you can probably look at some of these warning symbols and warning signs. I love the plastic bags that you get at the shopping mart, right? You open it, don't don't play with this. Don't put it on your head. Okay. Well, the saddest part about that is that generally means somebody did it, which is why they have to put the label on it. So there's some funny labels I saw, and here's the weird part. I, I found these on Reader's Digest. Did you all know that Reader's Digest still existed? I didn't, right? But I, I figured that out this morning. So there's a handful here that I wanted to share with you that I think are pretty entertaining. No, no off-roading. Any new parents here remember this? Classic. No playing in the dishwasher. I got to be honest. I think, is there one more, Grace? No, that's it. I got to be honest. These are silly. But the fact that these literally exist, again, it tells you that people have done these things, and that's why they have to be put in place. And I tell you what, though, so there's also all these other signs that we see, right? We see road signs, which those are pretty important, especially for people like me who are directionally challenged. It's really useful for some of these warning signs or these these signs that help you to kind of go from point A to point B. Hey, hey, don't go down this road. Okay, right? And we see that quite often. So I think a lot of times they're useful, and, and like I told with the kids just a moment ago, we're going to see that a little bit this morning. We're going to see these signs, these plagues, these warnings against the people of Egypt. And in some cases, um, obviously, they're not like what we just saw. These are big, life-altering, life-changing warnings that the people of Egypt are about to go through. Um, and last week, we were in our text, and we, we kind of finished in the first part of chapter 7. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're actually going to cover the rest of chapter 7 all the way through 13. And I was telling Pastor Pat earlier this week, it's like, why in the world did I schedule us to do seven chapters in one day? Uh, I, I still can't answer that question. But what we're going to do is we're going to briefly go through these plagues, and we're going to go through this idea of Passover. We're going to go through this idea, on a, on a, obviously, in an upper you know, 10,000 feet uh, point of view. Um, And we concluded with these verses last week in chapter 7. So I want to quickly just kind of see that because it's going to set up the rest of our time this morning. So verses 3 through 5 of chapter 7 read this way. But I will harden, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and through, and though I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And then I will lay my hand upon on Egypt and bring my hosts and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch my hand out against Egypt and bring them out of the bring out the people of Israel among them. 
So that's setting up our entire time this morning and these next 10 plagues that we'll take a look at. And again, obviously, we can't go through all of them in significant detail. Realistically, a lot of uh, pastors and preachers, when they're going through these, they will spend an entire sermon on each of these plagues. They're going to spend an entire sermon on chapter 12, an entire sermon on 13, and we just obviously don't have the time considering how we decided to put together the sermon series. So anything that we missed today that we haven't discussed in full detail, we will we'll try to discuss those during the roundtable time. Uh, so here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to focus on kind of what was happening and why it was happening and kind of what God's intent was in putting out these judgments as we just talked about. And you're all probably, if you've been in church for a, a number of years, you're probably familiar with most of these. You're probably familiar with these 10 plagues. Um, and what we see here, though, is that God is going to bring these plagues down to a, judge Egypt and to judge Pharaoh and his people. And again, we can, we can definitely spend a whole lot of time doing that. Um, and then chapters like 11 through 13 really focus on kind of the Passover and, and the significance of that, and we'll spend some time there as well. So let's go ahead and start by identifying our main idea of this passage this morning. Um, and, and this is what it says here, and this is our main idea, that God demonstrates his power in order to demonstrate his love for his people. He demonstrates his power in order to demonstrate his love. And that's what we see here through these 10 plagues. And and really, this is one of those primary purposes of these plagues. So for Israel, these plagues uh, were going to act as a reminder of who God is and his power and his promises that he has made to their forefathers. For Egypt, it's going to show them that God is the Lord. He is the Lord of all. That's why he's going to show him the, the, the nation of Egypt through these plagues. So let's take a look at chapter 12, verse 12, and that's going to help us to kind of see exactly part of this purpose that God's going to put out here with these plagues. Chapter 12, verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So we see here that, that God is going to judge not only the people of Egypt, not only their leader, Pharaoh, but he's also going to judge their gods with a small g. And he's going to bring judgment on those gods. And what we'll see in, those, in that judgment is that the people of Egypt had this reliance on these so-called gods. And that's why God's not only going to attack them and attack these gods, he's going to basically elevate himself over them by placing judgment on them. So right before all this happens, however, Moses and Aaron, they go before Pharaoh and they present a sign. And this sign, uh, and we see this in chapter 7, verses 10 through 13. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, just as the Lord commanded, and Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their serpents, or their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. It's a few times in there we see as the Lord had said, because God's already told them that this would happen. And again, just imagine the scene that's, that's before you. These staffs turns into a snake and a serpent. These other staffs do, and then Aaron's like, no. Aaron's staff takes those and eats those away. So there's already a, a 
sign of power and authority in that picture. And, and this sign's going to set up these other plagues. This is just the, 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 the appetizer, okay? So he, he's going to set up these plagues. Um, and, and it's interesting that there are sorcerers and magicians and wise men who are able to go in here and actually duplicate this sign. And they were also able to duplicate a couple of the plagues. And by, by the time of the third plague, however, we'll see that the, they were no longer able to do this. And we see that specifically in chapter 8, verse 19, where the magicians, they says here, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was still hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. That phrase, the finger of God, is an interesting one, and really all it does is illustrates that something is of the hand of. It's, it's from the control of and from the work of God. It's used in several areas to describe God's act in creation. It's used in, in other areas to, to, to uh, illustrate his act of giving the law to the people, which we'll see later on in this book. And it's also used in Luke's gospel when he's casting out demons in the name of Jesus. So that's where we see this phrase used to, to show that God's hand is there. God's, this is God's doing. So the magicians even went to Pharaoh, they're like, this is the finger of God. There's no way I can duplicate this with my tricks. And I think that's a huge thing. So uh, we're going to put the, the illust- uh, an illustration of these ten plagues on the screen here, and we're going to kind of keep this up, and we'll add some uh, scripture references to it along the way. And we're going to quickly go through these plagues, and we're going to point out in the first handful of them. I know it's probably a little hard to read. Uh, and the first handful of these will kind of show how God is attacking these Egyptian gods and doing his work before the people. So that first plague, as you see on the screen or in your, in your passage there, first plague is, is turning the Nile River into blood. The Nile River into blood. And what we also see is that all the water in Egypt, you know, the ones that they, they put in the barrels inside of their communities and all of that, all of that water was affected by this blood. And obviously this caused the people to suffer. This caused a lot of, you know, trauma to the individuals in that community. And, and one of the interesting things is that this attack on the Nile was actually an attack of their gods. There's a couple gods that were impacted by this, so to speak. Uh, Happy, Isis, and Kanum. Those were all gods that were impacted by this life water. And, and, and for these people, this was kind of like a sign of their life. This was a life-giving body of water for them. The second plague was similar and also affected others. And the second plague there, as you see, is, is the infestation of frogs. Frogs everywhere. Doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world, but it's probably something interesting. There's a god, an Egyptian god named Heket. And this god was a, a goddess of fertility and had a head of a frog. And, and again, there's, there's these certain aspects through all of these plagues that are attacking these Egyptian gods and just tearing them down and affecting the people overall. And Pharaoh couldn't do anything about it. And God is continuing to show his power and his majesty through these, these plagues. That third plague is its infestation of gnats. Some of your translations might have lice. Either way, ew. Right, that's a biblical word, by the way, ew. This plague, it's seen in 816, and, and, and it was uh, what, what they did is they, 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 uh, Moses hit his staff in, on the dirt, and then that dirt came up and turned into gnats or lice. And it got everywhere, got into their homes, got into their food, got everywhere. And it was just, ew, 
Okay, so this was huge. This was just an, an overall uh, attack on just their, their convenience and their comfort. Um, and, and there was a god of the desert called Seb or Set. And again, it was attack on that Egyptian god that they worshipped. Fourth plague was similar. It was flies, and these swarms were everywhere too. And, and again, it was, uh, there was a god who had a head of a fly and who was kind of known as like the, the, one of the creators. Uh, I think it was Kepra or Kepri. Kepra is a medicine. <laughs> Verse 8, chapter 22, we see that, and we see that Israel was actually spared from this particular plague. So the first few, Israel was actually part of the, the infestation, and they were affected by this, but for some reason or another, um, and this one here, they were spared from that, and we'll see that from this plague moving forward. So God is, again, he's just flexing his muscles here, and he's saying, okay, I'm going to allow you guys to suffer a little bit, but now I'm going to remove you from that, and you're going to see that I'm going to focus my attention on these gods and on these people of uh, Egypt and on Pharaoh himself. God's power is so mighty in this section of Scripture. Fifth plague was the death of livestock. And again, this was one of those where he separated the Israelite livestock from that. Just imagine how that would, it just seems odd and and strange and it's foreign to us. And you probably have seen pictures of these gods all throughout, you know, school and things of that nature. And a lot of them have the head or the body of a cattle. And we see that throughout this plague as well. Chapter 9, verse 4 says it this way, and just to illustrate again his control over all of these things, but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Again, I just this, this whole section of Scripture blew my mind this week, just sowing the, the control and, and the the. the the sovereignty of God just displayed throughout this entire thing. And he spared his chosen people from this plague. And, and we see his control. We see that he's controlling not only these, these plagues, but he's controlling the elements. He's controlling the elements and, and choosing who's affected by it or not. What a remarkable display. And I think this is a great, great lesson of his power and how we need to recognize his power. It's a great lesson for Egypt at the time, for Israel even today, and especially for us as well. The sixth plague were were boils that affected man and beast, the text says. And And again, by now I think you get the idea that all these plagues have affected not only the people, but also was a direct attack on these gods. And, and these gods included, of course, Pharaoh himself. The seventh plague was hail. And this was a really interesting one when you do some additional reading on it, this idea of hail. Um, we've, we've all been affected by that. I can remember when I was working at the, the, the clubhouse restaurant at one of my resorts, we had a crazy hailstorm, And we were kind of slow that afternoon, so I started cutting staff. And next thing you know, there's this crazy amount of hail. So all the golfers come off the golf course, and they just they infest my, <laughs> my dining room like these flies did. And it was just madness for a while. And then I realized that my windows were cracked in the parking lot. So I had to run out there and close those up, right? But, you know, just this idea of hail and how I would have, you know, puts little dents in your car. You know, it, it's, it's an inconvenience. It hurts if it hits your skin, all these things. But this hail was different. This hailstorm was crazy. It had uh, this one here that, that we see in this seventh uh, plague. Um, there was like this crazy phenomenon of this idea of, of, of hail, 
fire and rain. This was powerful. This was, I'm getting your attention, whether you like it or not. There's no way you can't see God in this plague. I think that was a crazy, crazy illustration of his power. Uh, Another one, um, obviously this also affects Pharaoh. And this one was a little bit different. So there's been a couple times through this narrative where Pharaoh kind of hints that he's going to do what what Moses and Aaron want him to do. And then he turns his back and says, I'm not going to do it. This one's very interesting. Verse uh, 27 of chapter 9 says that Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Hallelujah. Pharaoh repented. If you read on, of course, he, he, he relents and he changes his mind and he does not, of course, release the people at this moment. But there's like this glimmer of hope here that, oh, Pharaoh finally did it. He finally turned his heart. But of course, we see that his heart was hardened. The eighth plague was this infestation of locusts. Um, just like the last plague, this was a very long narrative as well. And, and this, these locusts, they destroyed everything. And, and here we actually see that the, the officials, along with Pharaoh and others, they were, like, they were tired. They were done. And, and his officials literally even told him that your stubbornness, Pharaoh, is destroying Egypt. You're destroying us with your stubbornness. So even the people and his closest officials who probably literally worshipped him were like, you're, you're killing us, man. You've got to stop. Just, just let him go. And again, we see this lesson and we see this continued theme throughout so far of, of all of these chapters we read of, of Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And I think we've touched on it before and we'll continue to touch on it because it is important. Um, and what we see in this narrative is in some cases, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And in other cases, God hardens his heart, which is pretty interesting to me. In hardening of the heart, what it refers to is that, that there's clear evidence that this person has received that there is God and there is God at work. Clear evidence. But they refuse to submit and instead they, be, they, they choose to resist him. And that's what we see with the hardening of his heart. Clearly can see that there is a God at work, but he's refusing to submit and I think there's a, again, there's a lesson for us there because we don't know when God is going to soften an individual's heart. So we may know, we might be thinking of somebody in your life that has a hardened heart who has clearly seen the evidence of God and they just refuse to submit. You may have seen that and you may know somebody in your life who fits that description. Does that mean we give up? Does that mean we stop asking God to change that individual's heart and to soften it? Of course not. We have to continue to share the gospel with people. We have to continue to share this hope that we have in Jesus with them because we don't know if God plans on softening their heart. We just don't know that. Because if you look at these plagues, you can not only see that these plagues continued. He didn't stop at the first plague because Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But not only did it continue, but it also, if you look at it closely, they, they progressively got worse and worse along the way. And we'll obviously see that specifically in that 10th plague. And I think it's, it's important for us to see that in our own lives. If we see somebody, know somebody that is hardened, we can't stop praying for them. We can't stop reaching them. We can't stop sharing the good news with them because God can even harden or soften the hardest heart. The ninth plague is this plague of darkness. 
And again, if you really think about this, you know, uh, there was a few weeks ago, our neighborhood lost power and it was dark, like eerily dark, two, three in the morning. It was quiet. You know, the entire neighborhood was dark and it's an eerie feeling because you just can't do anything. You can't obviously see you're walking around like this because you don't want to bump into anything. And it's an eerie feeling. In this case, it was for three days of complete darkness. And it says there in verse 23 of chapter 10, they did not see one another, nor did they rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Like literally, that's what happened in our neighborhood. It was dark in our neighborhood, but the other neighborhoods were light. But in this case, it was so dark, they couldn't even rise from where they were. They couldn't see each other at all for three days and Israel's having a party over there in the light so we're going to pause for a moment we're going to come back to the 10th plague here um, and, and, and one side note on, on, on this darkness there was a god named Ra and Ra's the sun god and generally that sun god is directly associated with Pharaoh himself so you see this one was a direct attack on Pharaoh so we're going to pause for a moment, and I want to talk through just a couple of principles that we can learn from and take from these, two, these ten, uh, nine plagues that we just looked at. So what are the principles for me in these plagues? If you look at these plagues in general, they're, they're, they're distressed, they're distressful, they're, they're painful, they're costly, they're dangerous, they're destructive. So just those descriptive terms there, I think there's, there's something that we can pull from there because, look, if you're dealing with the sin in your life, if you're dealing with the situation in your life, it can, too, also be distressful and painful and costly and dangerous and destructive. Think about like, just the addiction, uh, the, the sin of addiction. Think about addiction in, in, in its entirety. Addiction is costly, isn't it? Addiction is dangerous, isn't it? Addiction could be destructive in so many ways. And, and I think it's important for us to see that there are things that we can pull from, from this story that doesn't directly apply to us. We can absolutely see that there are some similarities and there are things that we can pull from that. And of course, I don't want to downplay what these specific plagues for a specific place at a specific time had. I don't want to downplay the significance of that. Because um, it was a literal thing that happened to, to Egypt, and it was a literal thing that happened to Israel. But I want to show that these are things that we can apply to our lives as well. So the first thing we can do here and we can understand and accept is that God will give me an escape route. God will give us an escape route in those dark and dangerous and costly and destructive times. God will give us a, an escape route. For Pharaoh, all he had to do was let the people go. There was one instruction to Pharaoh, and it carried on for all of this time through all of this destruction for him to finally do that in the 10th plague. But God gives us that escape route. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about this in verse 13, and, and Paul's talking directly about temptation, but we'll see that the principle is, is very similar and it remains the same. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation over, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your, uh, beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
He gives us choices. He gives us a way out. I don't have to go out that door. I can go out another door, right? He gives us that ability to make that decision. And that principle, of course, is the same. And what I talked about this morning with the kids is that actually seven out of these ten plagues, God gave Pharaoh a warning. Seven out of these ten plagues, God gave Pharaoh a warning. And in some cases, a specific time period. By the morning, this will happen. By midnight, this will happen. He gave them an opportunity to respond in a way that was honoring to him. So whatever you might be facing today, there's a way out. God has given us a way out. Next thing we see here is, is we a warning. This is a warning. Don't test the power of God. Don't test the power of God. You see what happens when somebody tests the power of God. Pharaoh tested the Lord, didn't he? Pharaoh tried to put himself and elevate himself above the Lord. And we see that God is a judge and a righteous judge, but we also know from the scriptures that he is a merciful God as well. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death, but he's merciful and he provides us a way to conquer death through his son Jesus and that victory we have in that promise of salvation. That, pro, that Bible's theme of judgment is not changed. It has not changed this entire time. And as we see here, he does again. He provides a way out and deliverance from that penalty of death. And we'll see that clearly once we dig into the Passover here in just a few moments. So I know we've spent a lot of time talking about these nine plagues, but it is important. And again, it, what it does is it leads us directly to the title of the book, the Exodus. It leads us to this exact moment. Chapters 11 through 13 kind of sets up this story of the Exodus, but it also, of course, gives us this understanding of this 10th plague, which is the Passover. And we'll spend the rest of our time there this morning. There's a few things that I think are important in these chapters. Um, Number one is what we see in, in chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. And it reads this way. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, And this is the announcement of the 10th plague. About midnight I will go in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. So following this warning, God marks this event in Israel's history. In verse uh, chapter 12, verse 12, he says, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Just think about what that means. There's such a significance to this event that God said, now when we celebrate this and we remember this each year, this is the first day of the month for you. He marks the significance of this day in history before it even happens. So the, it, the plague that, Lord, that the Lord's instructing them to Egypt, this plague unfortunately is going to kill all the firstborn who did not follow the instructions of the Lord. And they had the, the blood of the Passover lamb, as you probably know. And if they put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death would literally pass over them. And those firstborn would be spared. So all of Egypt was affected by this. And we read that specifically in 12.13 of Exodus. It says here that Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians... And there was a great cry in Egypt, 
for there was not a house where one where someone was not dead. What a tragedy, the stubbornness and the pride of Pharaoh to allow all of these families to be ripped apart because he failed to just heed to the instructions of the Lord. And finally, we see that in these following verses, Pharaoh sends them away. He says, go. He says, go. He's like, I don't want to deal with Israel no more. I don't want to deal with your God anymore. And the people of Israel, they took their possessions and they left in haste. And we'll, we'll pick up that piece of the story next week. So the observance of Passover for Israel, even to this day, it memorializes this event in history. It, it, it speaks to God sparing his chosen people, his chosen people from this plague. But obviously for us today, Christ followers today, it does hold a, a deeper significance. Warren Wiersbe, uh, one of my favorite commentators and authors, he, he kind of summarized it. And he says, this really started, this idea of the Passover lamb, it started way back in Genesis 22 with the sacrifice of Isaac. And, and if you recall that story, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. So he takes up his son and some servants and he goes up to the hill. And Isaac's like, where's the lamb, dad? Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide a lamb. God will provide a lamb. And that was the beginning of this idea of a Passover lamb. And much later, John and John the, ba- John the Baptist in John chapter 1 When he sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The immediate connection for the early reader to understand that this was the Passover Lamb. This was the Passover Lamb. And this designation of Christ as a Passover Lamb continues in the early church. We see Philip preach this very thing to the Ethiopian eunuch. We see Paul preach this very thing. We see Peter preach this very thing. And we see, of course, John preach Christ as the Passover lamb. And we see that all throughout the, the scriptures. So this idea and this memorialization, this, uh, this, this event had to be memorialized every single year during the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as we see in chapter 13. And there's a lot of symbolic imagery in this meal. One included this idea of the unleavened bread. Later on, we'll see that the leaven in itself was identified as somewhat of, a, of, a, of an impurity. It, it, it was an impurity. It was a picture of impurity of, of the people. Um, there's a, the, the bitter herb that was consumed during this time, and that was to remind the people that, that they were under a bitter event of slavery And it was to remind me of that bitterness under the slavery of Egypt. And we know and we see that even in the New Testament, the early, early church, Christ and his followers, they observed the Passover lamb. We see several examples of that from Christ in the the gospel accounts. And at the Last Supper, when they were observing this meal together, we see that when when Jesus got to that third cup, which was the, the cup of redemption, That is when Jesus identified himself yet again and said, this is my blood. This is the Passover lamb's blood. And he says to do this in remembrance of me. He identified himself yet again as the Passover lamb. And that's the significance that we see even today. 
So, of course, the conclusion of this 10th plague led directly to the exodus of God's people. God's people were finally released from this bondage. And, of course, the, the Passover festival and meal, it reminds the people every single year what he has done for them. And, and it does point them to Jesus, the Messiah, But as we all know, unfortunately, many Jews have not realized that. They have not made that connection, just like many of our friends and family and loved ones have not made that connection. So once again, our our main idea this morning was that God demonstrates his power in order to demonstrate his love for his people. And that's what we can learn from these plagues and from this Passover meal. So real quickly, a couple more principles that we can take from this idea and understanding of, power, of the Passover. First one is we, we can take from this that God is Lord of all. God is Lord of all. We witness God's power. We witness his, his control. And we saw that he can control the elements. He can control these gnats and these lice and, and, and all of these things. And what he did to demonstrate part of that power is he crippled a powerful nation of, e- of Egypt. He crippled that nation. And he exalted the nation of Israel who was enslaved by this powerful nation for somewhat about 400 years. He, he, he brought down this nation and he exalted another. And that's what we see here. God is very powerful. God is very powerful. And the next thing we see is that only the blood of Jesus can save you. That picture is very clear in the Passover. It's very clear in this picture of the Passover and, of course, this specifically the 10th plague. And then through these seven or so chapters, we saw that the sorcerers were not able to match his power. We saw that, that, the, that Pharaoh was not able to match his power. And we can say today that the American government cannot match his power. The, the world's enemies and our, our enemies cannot match the Lord's power. He is in complete control of everything that happens even today. And what we see is that Egypt faced complete and utter judgment. They faced that judgment from the Lord. They, they were tormented. They lost their loved ones. Their land was destroyed. And their, their, their God, Pharaoh, was stomped on. God had a purpose in this entire situation. And part of that purpose was so they would know that he is God. He is all-powerful. And that, that final judgment, as we saw, was a picture of Jesus, of that Passover lamb. And we saw that, that God offers a way out. And that's exactly what that Passover lamb represented. God gave, gives us a way out. That finished work of Jesus, his blood that was shed for us. So as we conclude this morning, if you're putting anything or anybody before the Lord, if you're putting anything or anybody above the Lord, Just remember, he's Lord of all. He is Lord of all, so we need to put him before any of those things. If nothing else, we just need to make sure we remember we need to put him before anything else. If you have any doubt about the the power of our God, go back and read the story again. Go back and read the story again. You'll see his power, and you'll see that he is all-powerful, and he can control all things, and he is in control of all things. And he did that to show us that he was Lord. God is Lord of all. So have you accepted this? Are you following him as a result of this truth? 
And if you aren't, I would ask and, and pray that you would reconsider. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for this illustration of your power. This illustration of your power and, and what it helps us to see today is that this power represents and helps us to see clearly your love for your people. You didn't choose Israel because they were perfect and wonderful. You chose them because you decided to choose them. And sometimes that's a hard truth for us to understand, but we know and we trust you, Father, that when you have chosen us to serve you, that you will do whatever it takes for us to continue to do so. And through us, because of your grace, you will use us to help others to see you and to see your son Jesus clearly. And that's a remarkable thing for me. So I pray, God, that you help each and every one of us to to understand that, to see that, to accept that, and to do all that we are able to do in your power to show others Jesus. And we thank you, God, for the example you've given us and how we can learn from these things and we can learn from these truths to help us to see you and understand and, 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 and really acknowledge that you are Lord and you are our Lord. If there's anybody here today, God, anybody listening online that does not know you, Father, I pray, God, that you just touch their hearts in a very special way and that they realize and they can say with certainty that you are Lord and that they are able to surrender their lives to you right now in this moment. And I ask that in Jesus' name. In just a couple moments here, we'll, we'll